I waited till like the fourth date to tell them that I was schizophrenic. And he got up from the table and walked out and I was just shocked. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Okay, everybody, today I'm with Stacy Rumberger. Hi. And <laughs> full of full of pizzazz. <laughs> uh, no, but Stacy uh, has been kind enough to and courageous enough to take some time to share her story about living with schizophrenia. She also works in the mental health field. Uh, but first, I just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to join me today. Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, where where'd you grow up? Um, I live in a little bit south of Canton in Ohio. So a little bit south of Akron as well. Okay. Um, so it's east of Cleveland and it's just rural, very small. I graduated with about 120 people. Um, mental health wasn't really talked about at all in such a small community. Um, It wasn't until I got to college that I realized, like, hey, this is a topic that needs discussed more. Yeah. Yeah. So how was life growing up? It was, I knew I was different the way I acted compared to my friends when I was, say, angry or um, frustrated. I would lash out. I would get really irritable. I mean, even with my siblings, my sister, I only have a sister, but. I remember being like five years old and just getting so mad at her over like a Barbie doll or something as ridiculous as that and just lashing out and freaking out and stomping around and throwing tantrums. And I threw tantrums like that until I was an adult. I mean, until I got on the good medication, I would throw tantrums like a child. Yeah. I understand. I can relate. So, you know, five, six, seven, were you, uh, was there just a, what was anger, the majority of the, uh, how it kind of manifested itself? I would hear things too. And I also thought that was normal. I just thought that, you know, these voices in my head reassuring me to be angry, basically, it, they would just tell me, you know, oh, if you do this, you know, you'll get your way. And it was stuff as stupid as like punching the wall or punching myself or punching. I mean, I would just hit anything. I mean, no one else but myself, but like objects. And I didn't know what to do with my aggression and anger as a child and those voices. And I did, it wasn't like I had a personified thing of them. They would just speak to me and I was just like, okay, my head is telling me to do this. So I, I need to act on this. Right. Now, would your parents, I mean, when did the pieces start being put together to talk about it or address it? Well, I was hospitalized when I was about 20. Um, I had slashed my wrists open. And so that was a big wake up. That was a huge, okay, something's not right with Stacy. 
So I started yeah. seeing a bunch of doctors and um, they kind of basically didn't know what was wrong with me because I had so many agitation symptoms. I got called bipolar. I got called schizoaffective. I got called manically depressed. But I had every diagnosis just thrown at me. I felt like, you know, my therapist was diagnosing me with something different than my psychiatrist. And it was just, it was hard to get yeah. to where I am now. But it was more of just um, like finding finding out initially. Because when you hear schizophrenia, you're like, oh, no, I'm not schizophrenic. Like, there's no way. You picture straight jackets and right. all that scary stuff. And I was, you know, like a sophomore in college, junior in college, just going through all of this. And just I'm like no there's no way and then that's when the stigma comes out and you're like wow i'm a jerk you know yeah man that's difficult and especially when you're getting different diagnosis noses from different people it's it's hard to uh, you know like you said i mean basically it's like you know tell me what's up I mean, what am I, what do I have and, and, and how do we fix it? But that's one struggle I think a lot of people go through is getting when you've got so many different people working on you and they're all saying something different. Uh, oh, I'm absolutely. sure that I'm sure that had to be stressful. Luckily right now though, I have a great team of doctors. I go to a place called Phoenix Rising, my therapist, my psychiatrist right there, both connect constantly about me. And then my boss is also a psychiatrist. So she's always looking out for me. Same with all the other counselors that work. I mean, I was having a weird reaction the other day to my medication where I was having issues with my jaw. I couldn't control my movements or like I was having issues with constant jaw movements and it was just all over the place. And finally, uh, one of my friends at work he's like he's a counselor and he's like Stacy you need to tell your psychiatrist I've been noticing it all day and it was just like little things like that's why it's so important to work in the field if you experience stuff because it was stuff that I wouldn't have picked up on because I didn't notice it but just little things and then after he pointed it out I sure noticed it the rest of the day and so did everyone else just surrounding yourself by a good team not even just doctor wise but a good support system is important Right. And you mentioned having your therapist and your psychiatrist and psychologist, everybody, they have to be in communication with each other about you. Yes, absolutely. Or, or, or else it's just going to, you know, it, kick the can down the road and uh, be more difficult. But yeah, when you've got, when you finally find a good team of doctors, it, it's such a good feeling to know that you're, you're in good hands and that you can, uh, you know, take one step at a time if you got a tweak of medication and instead of, uh, you know, kind of throwing darts at it. Yes. And that's how for my first couple years, I felt like I was just getting, it was like throwing spaghetti at the wall. I mean, just, you never knew what you were going to get. You didn't know if it was going to work. Um, my grandmother uh, was diagnosed with a couple of different illnesses as well, similar to me. She got labeled schizophrenia. She got depression. She got all over the place as well. So there was a family history 
Um, so I just knew her and I are so much alike anyways. I just knew like, oh, geez, that's where I get it from. Right. Genetics don't lie. No. You know, and I, I've said this a million times, but it's is bad as it is to go through it when you start looking at a you know genogram or you know you go through your family tree and and you start putting the pieces together it 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 soothes the fact a little bit that it's not just you that there is something to this and it, it is a, a genetic thing and there you know it's it, it's a, a card that you have to deal with you know yeah and sometimes i'm i'm thankful that I am like that because it gives me kind of a superpower as delusional as that may sound. I don't know. Maybe I'm fitting the bill right now, but it, no, I love that. It just, it makes me very creative. Like I write in my free time. Um, and I've written a book about being schizophrenic. Um, it, it's given me more confidence as well, knowing what is wrong, knowing why I'm different, knowing why I'm quirky in ways that other people wouldn't understand. Right. Like my um, favorite example right now is the woman I share my office with. Her desk is the most pristine, beautiful desk ever. Mine looks like you dumped a trash can on it and I'm just like that's my disorganization but I know where everything is in my head and it's just like that's what being schizophrenic is like like you know you but other people don't see it like that when you're going through this let's let's like back in high school or did did that come with I mean I'm sure there was confusion and, and wonder and um maybe some shame in there, but I mean, did you have depression and anxiety? Mm -hmm. Was there other stuff that went along with it? Yeah. I started getting treated for depression when I was in 10th grade. So fairly early, um, it was kind of just like, Oh, here's some medication. There you go. Hopefully right. it works. I would yeah. see that doctor once every six months. They didn't really, you know, I would say, Hey, I'm not getting any better. And I'm, you know, would say, hey, I'm hearing these voices and I hear buzzing sometimes as well. Kind of like, like not like a bee, I would say more of like a, a phone vibrating in like my ear constantly. Not not right now because the medications I'm on, thankfully. But um, I always just thought that was normal in high school. And that was when I really realized, like reading up on it, I was like, I'm not just depressed. Because I started reading a bunch of books about depression and anxiety and stuff. And I was like, I'm not really that anxious of a person unless it's having an episode. I'm like, this doesn't sound like me. And I just kept trying to dive deeper, but I just let it go and let it go. And then eventually, like all throughout high school, I just thought, you know, I had some sort of depression. And I, I was more sad than my friends and I was different than my friends. And I actually had a hard time making friends because I was so different. Did you get bullied? I didn't, I wouldn't say I got bullied, but there were cruel people. Um, I got told how different I was, but I was funny. 
so it kind of made up for it. So I would kind of make the jokes about myself into just jokes in my head. So. So when when would you say you got it figured out um, recently, or has it been? Yes. Has it been? A f okay. I would say within. Probably the past two years, I've been pretty, pretty stable. Um, I I did have a scare the other day. It was my first visual hallucination in a great while. I it's actually funny now that I'm thinking about it. I went down to my refrigerator and I went to open. I went to open it to get a bottle of water, and all of a sudden, there's just millions of bugs crawling out at me giant cockroaches everywhere just pouring and I started stomping on the ground at them freaking out I felt like they were crawling up my legs everything and then all of a sudden they're gone so I'm immediately like mom like freaking out like there were just bugs everywhere she comes and looks there's nothing no remnants of bugs nothing and it looked like they were literally never ending going to come out. Wow. And then later that evening, I'm laying in bed and there's a spider on my wall. So I'm like, okay, you're not real. And so I smack it. It was real. And I felt really bad because I don't kill bugs. And I killed that spider and it was disgusting on my hands. But I thought it was fate. So. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, see those, and that's why this you know, mental health is you, you can you never get a break. Mm -mm. You know, it, it's always it's always there. And uh, so, what would you attribute this success to? I mean, b back to the team and and meds and on all that good stuff. My, my meds, my doctors, my support system. I can't stress how important that is because um, I. It is hard for you to keep relationships and friendships in with this condition. And I mean, even family members sometimes give up because sometimes I'm unbearable to be around. Sometimes I want to be left alone and don't want to have to use my brain on any other person. And because sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm tired. My brain, like my brain physically, I can't. And I think it's important to find the friends that understand. Like, my friends know if I say I'm coming to something, there's maybe a third of a chance I'll go. And so they don't get offended if I don't go to anything. I don't miss important things like weddings and stuff like that. But, like, dinner one night or something, if I get invited, they know if I say I'm coming, I'm probably not going to show up. I'll show up like once every six months, but they're still good friends. We just talk every day. You know, it's just, you've got to find the right balance and find the people that care. And I, I'm extremely lucky to have a, the family that I do. Um, my sister and my, both my parents. And I mean, my nephews are what keeps me alive, honestly. Um, during my low points, if I didn't have my nephews, I don't know if I could say that I would still be here. I mean, they made a huge impact and watching them grow up is everything. So 
you just got to surround yourself with what makes you happy and know that you're, you're going to overcome it and it's not always going to be easy. Right. That's interesting because with my anxiety and my depression, I always say that, you know, that I'll go to things <laughs> same way, same way, because I'm a people pleaser. I don't want to let anybody down. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I found, I'm still not very good at it, but in the moments that it's okay to say no. Yeah. But you're afraid, you're afraid that those friends are going to, you know, after a while. And ever since I've gotten sober in, in the past five years, and I don't get invited to as much stuff anymore. So right. I, there's even more pressure on myself to go to things and not, you know, eight yeah. times out of 10, I don't want to go, but I feel like they're going to, if I don't go, they're going to stop in inviting me altogether. So it is a, it is a big, it is a big struggle to, to, uh, to people please and to not, you know, want to disappoint anybody, but really, it's us that's going through it and we got to make sure that we're just comfortable doing, doing us. And if we don't go, I, I love that, that, you know, that they know that there's a good chance you won't come, mm -hmm. but it's, st it's still okay. And that's what having a, that's what having friendships is about with people really understanding what you're going through. I'm you're very lucky too, yeah. because one of my best friends is bipolar. So that makes our friendship fairly easy because we're both, we have similar ons offs of like, I don't think I've seen her in months, but we speak every single day updates. Hey, how was your days? Um, she's, she's the best. And, you know, we don't have to spend every waking moment together. And she's still one of the closest people to me. And it's, because we understand each other's mental illness and know that that needs to kind of come first. Right. Man, that's so cool. It's not nothing, nothing better than being able to confide in somebody, especially when something is raw and real and hard. Oh yeah. It's, as a mental illness. I can call her with the weirdest things and she might not answer because that's her anxiety. One of them talking on the phone. But she'll text me back immediately and be like, hey, I can't talk on the phone right now. So text me. And I don't get upset because that's how she is. So it just it you got to find the people that balance you and do well and compliment you and your illness, because whether you like it or not, you're stuck with it. It's not going anywhere. And you can only right. do this stuff to make it better. Like you have to go to therapy. You have to go to the doctor. You have to take your medication. Um. And you have to stay on top of all of those things. And reaching out for help is one of the most important things to do because I could have gotten much better many years ago had I had the right help and the right team. And I mean, my parents were awesome, but they didn't always know what to do. They didn't know what they were dealing with. They didn't, they don't understand, nor will they ever, but they loved me anyways. And same with everyone else around me. Right. So, what do you say to the, you know, the, uh, and, and honestly, I'm thinking of my, I'm thinking of my 12 year old, uh, you know, she's got really bad anxiety and she's got ADD and stuff, but, um, struggles with school. And when we tell her, you know, if you really don't understand something, you gotta ask the teacher, you gotta ask for help. But 
that is so hard for a young person to do because you don't want to be judged or feel like you're going to be left behind. And But if somebody's out there right now that's struggling and hearing voices or feeling different, I mean, what what, what do you say to them to asking for help is, is an easy way to put it, but it's very difficult to do. It's what would be your advice? Difficult. I would say <clears throat> this is just me, but whenever I would start to feel like, okay, I'm hearing voices. I don't know what to do. Or I was embarrassed to talk about it to even my parents. But then I, I felt ashamed. I didn't want them to be ashamed of me of having a kid that, you know, had all these problems with hearing voices belong. You know, I thought I was absolutely crazy. And so my advice would just be to write everything down, what you're experiencing, really, really soak it in and just say, okay, so what can I do about this? And then find the one person that you trust, connect with, whether it's a parent, a significant other, uh, I mean, anyone that you feel you can talk to and just say, hey, this is happening to me. Do you think, you know, you could at least talk to me about it? Because talking always gets it gets it out. It lets it out. Even if it's only half of your story, even just talking about half of the trauma or half of the symptoms or half of whatever is going on can help. Right. Yeah. And, and writing it down and um, being able to get to a point where you advocate for yourself because mm -hmm. that's very difficult. But with the therapy and with building coping skills, you have to understand that nobody's going to advocate as hard as you can advocate for yourself. Nobody's going to get in there and, and get it done with the sense of urgency more than you can for yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there's so many resources out there um, to look into. Like I've read so many books of people's firsthand experiences and it taught me a lot about schizophrenia and I try to read as much as I possibly can or listen to as many podcasts as I can or just gain as much knowledge because you can learn from other people's experiences and kind of learn how they cope with it versus how you do and see if maybe their ideas work better. Um, I once read a book, I actually forget what it was called, but the woman, she would just tap on her temples whenever she was hallucinating visually and then breathe and it would bring her back. And I found it works for me as well. So that really helps because I used to just be like, oh my gosh, I am just going to ride this one out, I guess. Yeah. And, and just hearing other people's stories, period, whether mm -hmm. it's in a, in a book or a podcast or or interviews of, of any kind of somebody that's new going through something knows that they're not the only one because that's what we think. We think yeah. we're the only one on planet earth that is going through what we're going through at the time. So like yourself and people willing to have the courage to share their story helps just countless people. And I'm sure, you know, people have helped you along the way as well. I mean, it, it's just invaluable to, uh, talk about this. Mm -hmm. It really is. 
So what are you doing in the what are you doing in the field? Where where are you working and and how are you working in mental health? So I'm the director of business development at a place called Neurobehavioral Clinical Research, and we also have a nonprofit. It's called Ohio Ohio Center of Hope. Um, so at work, basically what I do is handle um, the business aspects of like marketing, social media, getting it all out there, letting people know what we do. We offer free mental health assessments and memory screenings. Um, we offer free post-care, um, pre-care. We also do clinical research, which is really cool. Um, so it's basically put medications or therapies onto the market and my boss is a psychiatrist and uh so she mainly worked with neurology and psychiatry trials so like right now we have a schizophrenia trial so I get to meet all these other schizophrenics and it's just awesome to when they share their story with me and they come in and I'm like, yeah, I'm schizophrenic too. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I promise, like, I, I promise, you know, and they, it's just, I've got to connect with so many people that way. And I'm really lucky to have met everyone in that field that I have. And I mean, working is weird. Um, because when I first got diagnosed, I was like, oh, so I'm never going to be able to work. I'm never going to be able to have a family. I'm never going to be able to have what everyone else has. I didn't even think I would be able to graduate college at that point. And once I got schizophrenia put on me, I was just kind of like, uh oh. And then with work, it's just it's a completely different type thing. Um it's it helps me in a way. I'm not I'm so busy during the day that my brain doesn't have time to really focus on anything else. And if I'm having a tough time at work, I can go right to my boss. Her name's Dr. Mahaltra. She's amazing. I can go right to Dr. Mahaltra and say, like, Doc, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent today. My mental health, I, I can't. And she'll, she'll do whatever she can to accommodate me. And they really look out for me there. And that's, I highly recommend anyone who is interested in the field, especially if they have mental health issues to work somewhere, work somewhere around it, help people that have the same conditions and work with people that can help you. Right. And there's no better type of person to work in the field than somebody that's gone through it. So it's, it's great that, people that have these companies and organizations, nonprofits, for-profits, whatever it is, um, foster that kind of uh, business dealing when they know that somebody has gone through it. Is It's not a, that, that's not a risk. That's bigger benefit than anything when, when you're, when you've got somebody that has gone through it that, can help you, you know, spread the word and, and work with other folks. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Um, it makes going to work, you know, I'm not just going to work for my paycheck. I'm going to work to help other people like me who may not have anyone or may not have a support system. And they come to us because they want to, and right. they want to talk to us about their experiences. 
And every single person that's came in there that I've told them that, hey, I'm schizophrenic. And they just, I just feel a lot more connected to the patients whenever I tell them, I guess. Sure. And I mean, I'm quirky looking, let alone how I act. But, you know, something's a little different with me, but you're not quite sure what until I say it. So. Yeah, but we all got some quirks. Yes. But Anybody who says they don't have quirks is lying to you. Superpowers. That's right. Hey, I love that. I love the, the the superhero superpower thing because really, if you if you don't embrace it and and think of it that way, that's when it can take you down mm-hmm. and and really uh, wreak havoc on your life. So I love the outlook. That's that's great. So the drug research. So you. Your the the nonprofit portion of it f- follows drug trials for mental health drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So like today, I spent my morning at a homeless shelter with one of our counselors, and we were just doing um, free mental health assessments for people in the community that you know may not have resources or access to resources. And we just go to these places. We go to libraries, um, places like that where there's a population that might not have access or know where to even start because if I if I didn't have my support system that I had growing up, I wouldn't have known where to start if I would have started feeling those symptoms like right now in life. I wouldn't have known, you know, what to do had I not had, you know, my parents and my family and it's scary. And sometimes conditions like schizophrenia don't come on till mid to later 20s and you don't have uh, symptoms and experience anything so then all of a sudden you're like what the heck is going on you know so I just I I love it I absolutely love it some of the stories are heartbreaking but other than that I love it and yeah I just love it (laughs) that's great okay so when you go and you you contact somebody and you give them a free mental health assessment what does that look like so i don't do the assessments myself um i just kind of go to sign people in talk to people but it just goes through um it takes them about 15 minutes it just goes through your medical history and what you're experiencing um the memory assessments for like alzheimer's and dementia patients i actually could not pass one of those if i wanted to side effect of the medications i take <laughs> um they're rough i feel horrible for and i actually took one of the mental health assessments today actually because i hadn't had one in a while and i actually scored pretty well on it and i was like wow this is great this is how i know my meds are working it kind of just evaluates your emotions how you handle things um whether you're hearing anything or seeing anything or experiencing mania or anything like that kind of just digs it out of you in a way right and then once they once that's completed and processed what happens then what do the yeah what happens then so then they have a couple options so if they're interested in research great we're so happy we're happy to have them we get them into a study whatever study is the best fitting one for them um people are actually paid for clinical trials which is really cool 
Um, because a lot of people, if you don't have access to, if you can't afford mental health care, they pay you to get mental health care. So I love that aspect as well. Um, the next, the next option is our, the founder, uh, Dr. Mahaldra, she is a psychiatrist. So you're welcome to be her patient. And she offers free pre-care and post-care to study participants, um, as well as people who may or may not fit in a study, say you didn't qualify for some reason. She's not just like, oh, bye, you know, she takes care of you. Um, the next option is if she isn't a right fit or you need something a little more, something a little less, um, like therapy wise or doctor wise, uh, we work pretty close with a lot of other surrounding facilities, um, like Phoenix Rising, where I actually go and, um, she'll just refer out if she doesn't feel like she can help. I mean, she'll do whatever it takes to help someone. Right. And that's what people need to know, need to know is that there's somebody there and, and that there is care. E- even if you don't have resources, there is, uh, there is care out there. So I think it's great that you're out there making contact with people. Oh um, yeah. Are there a lot of dr- other, so y- as far as the drugs are concerned, like we're talking depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, all, all you, you follow any and all in the mental yes. health space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Are there, are there a lot on the docket? There's quite a few trials right now for all of those. And like the, um, the medications are really showing, I mean, it's really neat to see, like from an inside perspective, I never understood like research or how medications got brought into market. And actually it made me learn a lot more about the medications that I personally take and how that they're safe. And cause I, I always wondered like, wow, I take this many pills a day and I'm only 25. What's it going to look like in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years? And just being around medications and different therapies and watching stuff come through it's it's been really interesting and i guess it's made me accept my condition even more because it's made me feel more comfortable with taking medication right there's there's a lot of people out there that that don't believe in medication mm-hmm. they don't want to take they don't even want to take aspirin i've got friends that are like that yeah and and this stuff i mean i've been medicated since i was 6 and you know, like, like you said, I mean, I, I look at my, and I, and I get discouraged sometimes because my pill minder is, you know, it's about 18 inches long and each mm-hmm. space, each space is, you know, each day, you know, could fill up, you could put a muffin in there. Yeah. But I mean, it's, and it gets discouraging because I take, I don't even know, eight, nine pills a day. And, but it's doing, you know, it's, it's, it's helping me. And, and that's what it's made for. It's, uh, if you got the right docs, you got the right team and it's not just, you know, slinging scripts. Like I like to say it it is, it's, it's useful and, you know, certain people need medication. So, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And I'm, I'm just really lucky to work there and see it all and to bring people in and, and even go out and talk to people like, um, 
I worked a golf outing a couple weekends ago um, for NAMI. And they, I got to meet so many other people in the mental health field and really get to know other people trying to go for the same thing that I'm doing and really get excited and get out there because the stigma is so important to break because, I mean, I even had a stigma around schizophrenia until I knew I was experiencing it. Right. I mean, it's a scary word. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, straight people think straight jackets and people need to understand that you can live a productive, happy, beautiful life while having that diagnosis. Yeah. And it's not a, you know, it's not a uh, ticket to purgatory, you know, I mean. No, absolutely and- not. And when I first heard it, I was like, yep, my life is over. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to be able to be a normal person and you know it my sister just sat me down one day and was like you can get through this whatever diagnosis you have you know we love you and we're here and you know it just I needed someone at that time to sit me down and tell me that it's just a word right right and, and the more of this we can do um, so that the world can react the same way and understand that uh, we're, you know, there's super successful people out there uh, that go through similar struggles. And that That's what people need to hear so they don't give up. And um, I'm curious, when you were going through trying to get your meds right and all that, did you ever, did you ever take a DNA like a swab? No, I never did. And I just got asked that the other day. And I was like, no. I was like, I just tried almost every combo in the book until, you know, I've been feeling good. So I yeah. I never tried that. I want to now, though. Yeah. The, the place is in, or one of the, one of the main places is in Ohio. I'm not sure. I think it might even be Cincinnati, but... But where I went, that was the first thing they did is they, you know, because it can take you your entire life to get those meds mm-hmm. right, you know. So I think it's just a tool to use to kind of figure out how your body metabolizes medication and get you in the right family so you're not throwing darts. Because it took me from six until 32, Wow, I think. I think to ever have that presented to me uh, other than, Hey man, you know, what do you want to try now? You want to try this? I heard there's a, you know, I, w- I went in one time and my mom struggles with uh, anxiety and depression as well. And I went into, and, and this is another PSA is when you're going through mental health struggles, you need to see a psych, a psychiatrist. This is my, my opinion. I think more, more, uh, Primary care docs are, are uh, starting to come around and, and uh, get into this, at least to know where to deploy these sorts of uh, diagnosis. But I was seeing an internist, uh, internal medicine. So mm-hmm. I was going there when I had a bad back and I was also getting my 
psych meds from this person uh-huh. and and it was one of those meetings of you know i went in and i said my mom started this new drug can you tell me about it i just wanted to hear about it and i left there seven minutes later with a script for this new drug well it turns out that was the worst thing that ever happened to me it was Uh-oh. this super powerful drug that didn't work and gave me you know it, it turned out that you know we didn't taper when we got when I it was Effexor. So I got off Lexapro, got onto Effexor, did not taper Lexapro at all. It, uh, it was no. just yeah. So got on Effexor, went up to the max dose, which was like three fifty, which was huge. And it turns out that had I not found this in the Leonard Center of Hope where I go now, and tapered off of that. It could have killed me. Yeah. I mean, if I would if I would have gone from it's in seventy five milligram increments, if I would have if I would have just stopped it, it would have absolutely one hundred percent killed me. Yeah. So that's uh, that's another thing. Yeah. When, when you're dealing with these psych meds, is that you got to be under the care of people that know what they're doing and what they're prescribing and the effects. And I had a similar situation when I was getting diagnoses diagnoses thrown at me in high school, I got put on a narcotic at 14, 15 years old. And when I started seeing a psychiatrist, they're like, they put you on what at that age? I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. So I know. And it's scary to hear those reactions, but you're just, you're thankful at the time that you're finally mm-hmm. in good, finally in good hands. But yeah, some people don't, you know, they, they they mean well, but when, when you're slinging these these uh, antipsychotics and stuff, man, it can it can be you're you're playing with uh, real bullets, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about COVID. What <laughs> I just what have you seen since this? I, I just heard on the radio driving down here that it's been about just about six months since this all started. Um. What has been your experience and has business picked up, so to speak? Has it been just kind of drinking through a fire hose ever since this has all started? So it helped me get a lot of a lot more writing done. So that was nice. Um, I got to work from home for a little bit. We're back in office now, though. So that was also a nice little break. I have a chihuahua and I love her. And so she was so excited that I was home constantly for a good three months. Um, she was loving the whole quarantine thing and everything's getting back to more normal. Um, we have all masks, so I have a bunch of cute glittery ones that I actually enjoy wearing now because they're fun and I don't mind wearing them. I wouldn't say enjoy, but, um, it's just becoming more normal. Yeah. It's like you can pick whatever you want on them now it's ridiculous i had one lady the other day behind me at the gas station and her said shut the f up karen and i was just like where did you get that (laughs) so it was it was a fun one i like these creative ones right uh for your clientele and the people that you're reaching out have they found this to be uh, what is this pandemic doing to those folks 
Um, a lot of them are scared to come out still. So we are doing virtual visits and we do either phone calls or FaceTime, Zooms, whatever they can do and kind of just talk to them about it because I mean, it's, it's a lonely time. Um, if I wasn't at work, I wouldn't really be going many places besides, you know, the people I'm in close contact with anyways. So it just, you need someone during this time. You need to talk to someone. And so we're keeping up with the virtual stuff right now. And I mean, today the shelter did let us come in and I took breakfast and we gave some assessments out and um, people, there were a couple people that didn't want to come sit down and talk to us, even though we were more than six feet apart. And, but they were just like, eh, I don't really want to talk. And, you know, with masks on six people, they're just kind of were like still wary about being up at a table with us and uh, because we're different people. And I was actually, um, I was actually like in a way trying to just get people to just try to even do across the room. Um, kind of yell but they weren't they weren't interested they just didn't want anything to do with being close during covid so right and isolation is not natural no you know and, and now everybody's freaked out and you know everybody is being uh, it's getting better but you know people have been you know the, the tactic to this point has been fear and everybody's, you know, scared of everything. But when we're dealing with the mental health field and folks in the mental health field and having it ourselves, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen is to be cut off from, you know, people, social, yeah, people, exactly, each other. It's very difficult. Yeah, I hate these phone call therapy sessions because I'm like, oh, I could lie to you right now and you would not know. But you can read it on my face. But and I told her I told her that the other day. I was like, you know, I could lie to you and you wouldn't be able to read it on my face. So and she's like, I can still tell when you lie over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and you can only get, get so much from a from a Zoom call. I mean, telehealth is great. It's better than nothing. But. Right. I mean, I, I talk to friends who aren't even in mental health, just in work in general, and their day from eight to five is Zoom. Yeah. Calls, you know, and somebody I heard somebody say the the term zombies. I think people are turning into turning into zombies because uh, it's just become normal. It's become normal, and uh, I know. I think. Uh, attendance is down at least on a couple panels i've been on uh and that was kind of what people were saying as i think people are just becoming it's just they've got them all day long so people have to pick and choose what they want to do and what they want to join right yeah right you know and i've got little kids and they're doing school from you know on zoom yeah you know, you, you know try and take you know 17 six-year-olds on a zoom call it's ridiculous my it's sister's like, a, a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and she's teaching through um, her computer as well. And she's just like, I never thought I'd say this, but I can't wait to be back in class. 
Oh, man. I mean, teachers, you know, all the credit goes to these patient souls because oh, absolutely. I know my wife and I struggle with, with, uh, with school and it's, and it, and, and just being home in, in general, uh, you know, it, that's a mental health challenge in itself is, is trying to navigate this whole new world with, mm-hmm. with, with school and everything. So, I mean, it, it, people that don't have never struggled with mental health, I guarantee in the last six months, it has sparked a response somewhere along the line, whether it's an increased anxiety, depression, if you've never had it before. I mean, this, this, this will, uh, this will get a response out of you one way or another, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, so what else do you want people to know? Hmm. I would say just don't be afraid of a diagnosis. Don't be scared of who you are or somebody around you that has that. Um, this is actually like what I went on a date once roughly. It was right after I got diagnosed. I waited till like the fourth date to tell them that I was schizophrenic. And he got up from the table and walked out and I was just shocked and and I just kind of sat there embarrassed. I, I just didn't know what to do. I then, you know, at that point we'd only ordered drinks. So, um, it was, I had a water and he had like a soda. And so I just paid for his drink and then left. And I was just like, wow. And I was just in shock. I'm like, our first couple of dates went really well. I don't understand why that would make a difference. And he texted me and he was just like, you could have told me you were crazy before you Ugh. let it get this far. And I was just like, interesting. Like, I've never had somebody say anything like that to me necessarily in that way. And I was just like, Okay, I'm crazy. Fine, but you're still a jerk. So <laughs> I'd rather be crazy than a jerk. Yeah. And that's the, the that's the the other thing is it, and it's just ignorance. People just don't understand what they don't understand and mm-hmm. they choose not to choose not to even dig in and un, you know, try and uh, relate in some way or at least understand what what it means. Uh you just hear the word schizophrenic and you think crazy and that's just not fair and it's not accurate. Right. And, uh, well, you're better off anyway. Oh yes. Oh, I promise. (laughs) He wasn't that cute and he was a jerk. (laughs) And you had to pay for his drink. Yeah. A whole like $2. I'm so mad about that. (laughs) Okay. Well, Stacy, thank you. This is uh, this has been great. Keep up w- what you're doing because getting continuing to get the word out, help people understand that you can be fun and amazing and have a great life even uh, in the face of struggle. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information 
at stigmatizedpodcast.com.